Welcome to What's Working in Washington. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Today, making videos to recruit great employees. Some employers recognize that people want to move every two years, and so there's some people who have really adapted to that, where they're like, okay, we're just going to understand that people are going to move every two years out of the company, and that we're going to make it easy for them to come back. One of the more interesting questions every potential employee asks is, how do I figure out whether or not what I read on the website is actually the truth about what it's like to work at a place? Lauren Sargent is here to talk with us about that issue. She is the co-founder of Stories, Inc., and their whole business is around helping people understand whether or not and how an employer would be a good or bad place to work. Very happy to have her here. We're going to talk a bit about her business, Stories, but also talk about culture and, and how both employers and employees can really get to the bottom of what makes a good corporate culture. Lauren, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Well, let's talk first about Stories and what that business is about. Sure. Um, Stories, Inc., we do two things really well. The first is that we find stories from employees about what it's like to work at an organization, so getting like the real inside scoop. And the second is that we create really engaging media for candidates, so candidates can make the decision whether or not they want that that's a good fit for them or not. So media would be um, videos, uh, photos, blogs, uh, anything that a candidate consumes on candidate-facing channels to understand what it's like to work somewhere. So how does this position vis-a-vis something like vault.com? Oh, yeah, good question. So I think um, the a few things. The first is that the company does pick the people. So the, the, we And we do advise a little bit about how, who you pick as what we say, storytellers. So it should be people that are thriving in your culture, people who um, have been able to be promoted, people who are, who are kind of the people that you want more of in your culture. So it's a selection of people that we're talking to that the client selects. And then um, I'd say it's different in that um, we hand over all of the content for the company to control. So they're the people who are putting it on their candidate-facing channels. It's intentional. It's kind of like a curated content. Makes sense. I certainly have seen many places where employers and companies will hire somebody to create a video. I, I suspect there's something more to it than that. I agree. Yeah, I think there's also, especially in this age of content, there's a lot out there. There's a lot of videos, but there's not a lot of substantive content that really shows candidates what it's like to work somewhere. Um, and, you know, the most successful content is uh, something that's going to make a candidate opt in and out. So not necessarily everyone should want, shouldn't want to work there after recruitment marketing content. There's a lot of content out there, video content that's highly generic about, oh, this is a place, you know, it shows the office space, which is good, but a lot of kind of generic comments about like, oh, I, I love working here, I can bring my whole self to work, what a great work-life balance, you know, that could be any company. So a lot of the videos that are out there, you know, it's a low bar. I think that there's a lot that, <laughs> a lot that can be done to better show your culture than, you know, showing, you know, having some generic statements from employees. Well, it sounds to me like in, in the first instance, what you're getting at is that businesses and business leaders have a tendency to cluster around certain keywords that uh, they actually use to start to compete with each other and they think they're differentiating or right. they're not. You know, right. a consulting business is saying we're, we're customer focused or we're result based and they all say it and as a result it becomes meaningless. Yeah, exactly. Oh, absolutely. I agree. And I think, you know, we have the advantage because we all day long as we, we look at career sites and candidate facing content so we can tell you what's generic. Sometimes you think it's brilliant. You know, bringing your whole self to work is something that's come up the last two or three years where everyone thinks that's such a unique thing to say, and it's actually not anymore. It's noise, meaning that if you're a candidate, you see that on like five different sites. You know, you see that five different times for five different companies, and it starts to lose its meaning. Really, when 
I'm an employee and I'm trying to figure out, or potential employee, you know, these days there's so much uh, falsity in the media. How do you how do you signal authenticity in any content these days? Oh, I agree. Right. I know it's hard. And it's really through um, showing some things that may not be that attractive, as an, you know, but that's the truth. And that people can still, you know, Amazon is a really good example of that, where they don't have a culture for everyone. And so they lead with that. And some, in some cases, it was unintentional, like with the New York Times article a few years ago. But um, something I read the other day that was an awesome piece of content written by an employee that's like how I survived 10 years at Amazon. And it's like f- 10 different things, advice to you on how you can have a career at Amazon. And it was filled with their experiences. And that is helpful instead of give as much as yourself as possible or things like that that are just aren't going to really resonate. But to have the example underneath is really is really powerful. So I think that that's how you get around like what's authentic and not is you really have to lead with some things that may be polarizing. And in the end, that's more that's that's a good strategy for an employer to have because you don't lots of reasons why. The first is that you wouldn't want to lead with something that's not true because then candidates get in the door and then they're like this isn't what I was sold and they're gone. So that's awful for retention. And the other is that if you know your culture, you know who's going to be successful and not and when you have a thousand applicants to go through, that's really tough. But if you're really honest about your culture and you attract 50 that are really excited about that, then that's easier for recruiters and that's an easy, you know, it's less waste and easier to get to the right fit people. So I'd say leading with something that's that's making sure you put out there what's true about your culture, um, but things that you know might be slightly polarizing is a, kind of a good strategy to have. You touched on culture and you talk about culture. What what does culture actually mean in the context of helping an organization be better at recruiting people? It's really knowing the making a promise. So there's something called an EVP, an employee value proposition. It's making a promise to your employees that you're a certain way and then living up to that promise. And so all the actions that happen that live up to that promise is the culture. So if you're saying that you are going to you know, we're a place that is totally transparent, you know, there's some cultures that lean into that where they publish salaries. Bridgewater is one of my favorite examples of a culture where they record, you know, and and this is a polarizing thing about them, but they say they're completely transparent. And then what they do is they actually record every single conversation that happens within the organization. So if you're curious, I wonder what my manager talked about with the director about this issue. You can go listen to the recording. So they're 100% transparent. I might be going a little bit on a tangent, but... Not at all. (laughs) You probably saw my horrified look. I was thinking to myself, there's... I have always wanted to be a transparent leader. I cannot imagine getting that. That's really, that's oh, extreme. The level of transparency is, is insane there. And they do lots of interesting things. At the end of every day, they publish an email that um, at the end of the day, it, it has a ranking of, you know, it has your name and then a, rank, a number next to it. If you made a mistake that is, devis- that is um, I think, bo- above an eight or something like that, that means that you've made a mistake that, that exposes the company to some kind of risk. And an email goes out to the whole company, so they know this person made a mistake. Okay. Well, I, I think I just identified one company I'm unlikely to go work at, but <laughs> but that's good because it's it's transparent and yeah, and, and people real. know what they're buying into. And you mentioned and Amazon, and they're unapologetic. We're a hard charging place. GE used to be a place mm-hmm. where it was very clear that bottom 10 percent were going to make it year after year. Yeah. So transparency is, I think, a big value for today's worker. What else are you seeing is as really important things for a culture to have to attract workers these days? Flexibility, absolutely. Dell does an awesome job where, you know, you can read a lot about work-life balance, but 
that needs to be defined with employee stories. It can mean so much. Flexibility can mean so much to so many people. Maybe for, you know, maybe it's leaving at 6 o'clock every day is, fle- is a flexible workplace. You know, my husband can only work. He's on a government contract. He can only work 40 hours a week. To me, that seems flexible, you know, because he does, can't take it home. It's only 40 hours. So Dell does a really awesome job where they communicate through stories what flexibility means for women in leadership. So it means... You know, I wanted to, I needed to go to India for my family for three weeks. I asked my manager. They said, you can only go if you can get your work done, bring your laptop, you know. And they said, oh, great, I feel like I can get my work done. So, yes, you went, she went to India for three weeks, but she was working the entire time. One person said, you know, my daughter was in the summer program, and I was a coach, and I really wanted to be home for that, and I wanted to, to participate. So I was able to work. I worked from home the whole month. I took the whole month off. It's just, it just really showed the balance of like, yes, you can absolutely do these things, but you also are accountable to work. You find when you go and you talk with um, the clients that you have that the older uh, generation, you know, the baby boomers brought up in a work culture of work really hard, get paid a lot of money, don't ask questions. Hmm. How well do they react to this new environment where transparency and flexibility are the primary values driving workers these days? I think they react very well. I think they're the people who are driving these things in organizations because they've been, they have done the traditional activities and they realize, I mean, I can't speak generally, but I think people who are making these rules and in a lot of cases setting the culture are baby boomers or, you know, um, they kind of have seen what's work, what works for them or what kind of work environment they wish that they had had. So that's, that's, I'm not, that's what I'm seeing. I'm not running into, you know, most of the people that we're working with are senior leaders that are making the decisions to capture the culture and they're part of creating it. Is there anything going on right now in the, in the workplace that uh, you think employers are, aren't appreciating as much as they should as a way to differentiate themselves? I think there's kind of two trends going on. One is that some employers recognize that, that people want to move every two years. And so there's some people who have really adapted to that where they're like, okay, we're just going to understand that people are going to move every two years out of the company and that we're going to make it easy for them to come back. So boomerang employees. So that's one that's one trend where people who are understanding of the way of new new work in some companies, and so they really emphasize this boomerang. Yeah, come back. You you did an awesome job here, and you're going to go explore something else. That's awesome. We support it. And when you're ready, you can come back here. So I think that's one thing that people don't promote enough. And I know back in my day, like when I was recruiting, it's like you leave, you're dead to me. And so I think that that's like a really interesting thing to be promoting more of. On the other hand. I think it's really great when employees say, we want you to work here your whole life because we're providing you really awesome opportunities every two years. So you don't have to leave because we're trying to, to make this, we want to hear from you what uh, what's going to make a great work environment and we're going to do that for you. So a really great example is we worked with this company, Sunoco, which is a large manufacturing and has, um, I wouldn't say an old school culture, but they've been around for quite some time. And um, there was someone that was re- that we interviewed that was part responsible for leading a panel of executives. So all of the interns would come in, and then the panel of executives would talk about the things that were so great about Sunoco and starting your career at Sunoco. So one of the executives on the panel, who later became the CEO, said to the person that ran it, I'd rather we switch this. I'd rather the executives sat in the audience and the interns sat on, up on the stage, and we could ask them questions. Like, what do you want out of work? What's going to keep you here? What's a-? So I think that um, companies that are really progressive like that, um, those that recognize, hey, maybe the trend is every two years, but on the other hand, those that recognize – if it's because you're not challenged every two years, we want to challenge you. Make sure that you never leave. Um, I'd say those two things, I think, are like untapped opportunities to discuss. That's really great insight. Lauren Sargent, it was great to have you on the show today. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. And now, non-billable consult with legal expert Andrew Sherman.
Unless you've been living in a cave the last six months, you might be aware that we're in the middle of a trade war, trade dispute, trade Armageddon, whatever the press seems to call it lately, with China and some other markets. It's been like watching a tennis match, back and forth. We have a deal. We don't have a deal. We have a deal. No, we don't have a deal. Many businesses are directly or indirectly affected by these trade policies. Business models, pricing strategies, supply chains, and distribution channels are all being impacted. So here are some key questions to ask and some strategies to adopt. Number one, can you look at alternative countries or venues for manufacturing or source of supply? Many businesses in the region are beginning to look at Vietnam, Singapore, Philippines, and many other markets in Asia where they can still get lower labor costs and supply costs without being too dependent on a relationship with China. Number two, how long will it take you to pursue these alternative strategies and at what cost? Three, can you get any type of pricing relief or contribution towards these higher costs from suppliers? Many of these suppliers and manufacturers are well aware of the extra cost that tariffs bring and, if asked nicely or negotiated not so nicely, will contribute in some way to those cost margins. And if not, how much price elasticity, as the economists say, or flexibility for those of us that aren't economists, can you pass along to the customer without losing them or upsetting them? It looks like volatility is here to stay in the geopolitical marketplace and has really become the new normal. Your business models must be nimble, adaptive, and responsive to market changes. Don't become over-dependent on any one supply chain, distribution channel, or key relationship. The trade and tariff wars does not appear to be getting settled anytime soon. Now is the time to act, adjust, and actively seek strategic alternatives. That was your non-billable consult with legal expert Andrew Sherman. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan, and our web writer is B. Aldrich. Music provided by two local bands, The Sunbathers, and my own band, Two Car Living Room. And of course, thanks to Active Navigation, Sarefloor Shaw, and the Greater Washington Board of Trade, who provide the financial support to make this show possible. If you have a story idea, don't forget to tweet us at What's Working DC. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for joining us.